Michael was a gardener. Childhood visits to grandma and grandpa's house meant many mornings eating a bowl of cereal and watching my grandpa out in the yard pulling the weeds, tending to his garden. On the weekends, he would walk into town, set up a table at the local farmer's market, and share the literal fruits of his labor with those in his community. When we would pull out of town, we would do so, taking home bags of carrots, radishes, green beans, and sugar snap peas. As a kid, I could never fully appreciate the amount of work that he put into his garden day in and day out. It really wasn't until adulthood, and I began to attempt a garden of my own, that I quickly realized that this was not nearly as simple as Grandpa made it look to the eyes of a seven-year-old boy. Well, many of you know that last April, after living seven years at the corner of 36th and 5th Avenue, our family moved to a little farm about 50 minutes south of here. In that time, I have grown such a greater appreciation to the many agricultural illustrations found in the teachings of Jesus and throughout the biblical narrative. And we've seen this already in this series, and we'll do so again today as we continue the series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. We were looking at uh, the kingdom parables of Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower and the four soils as found in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. This parable actually precedes last week's where Amy spoke about the wheat and the tares. And actually, this is the first parable in the discourse of Matthew 13 where Jesus begins teaching about the kingdom of God. So you might be wondering, why are we doing these out of order? Well, the two parables that we looked at in the last two weeks were told to correct an unrealistic view that the people then had about God's kingdom and that we, as people who um, follow Jesus, still have uh, the misconceptions about God's kingdom. And so we wanted to first look at what are the realistic expectations. The fact that we are not the ones that set those and that it is Jesus who has that job and he has shown us what the kingdom is through the example of his own life and in his teaching in these parables. And so our focus now for this week and next week turns to our response to his kingdom coming. This parable of the four soils is one of the best known parables of Jesus. This story is the first substantive parable found in each of the three synoptic gospels, those being the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the first three books of the New Testament. In each biographer's telling of the story, there are three sections to the story. The first of which is the parable itself. The second section has this aside conversation that Jesus has with his disciples that refers back to the writings of the prophet Isaiah. And then Jesus shares the meaning of the parable. So we'll start first by looking at this first section of Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, normally I would pause here and explain the story. But I don't actually have to do that, because like I mentioned earlier, Jesus takes care of that for us a bit further on. Which is actually quite rare. Surprisingly, this only happens with two other parables. And so this parable is sometimes referred to by scholars as the parable of parables. Jesus, in his storytelling, in his upcoming conversation with the disciples, and in his interpreting of the story for us, it serves as an example of how to go about understanding Jesus' use of parables throughout Scripture. But before we continue in our text, I just want to simply highlight the characters of the story. We've got the farmer, we've got the seed, and we've got the soil. The farmer is the one who sows the seed. The seed is the message of the kingdom, which to simplify, we could say, the seed is the call to follow Jesus. And the soil would be anyone who hears the message. So to contextualize it even further, you could say that at this particular moment in time, I'm the farmer, The seed is, hopefully, this faithful message being proclaimed, and you are all the soil. So Jesus tells this story of a farmer going out to sow seed. And no, the farmer is not carelessly going out there randomly throwing seeds around. Although if you follow my wife on Instagram, you'll find that sometimes there are times where seeds are just randomly thrown all over the place. But as you might expect, when working with a lot of seed, you have some that end up where they're not intended. For example, you might every now and then drive past a field of soybeans and notice a few rogue stalks of corn from the previous year. These sorts of things happen. So Jesus tells us this story, and then we have this interesting sidebar conversation that takes place between the disciples and Jesus. This happens beginning in verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Prior to this account, Jesus had been busy. He's been teaching, preaching, he's been healing, he's been explaining, he's been gathering disciples to follow him, he's been traveling. And now, things seem to shift. Jesus goes into the storytelling business, but his stories have a twist to it. The twist is that the meaning of the story isn't immediately clear. 
The listener has to pause a moment, let it sink in, and then maybe a light bulb goes on and they get it. Dale Bruner defines parables this way. He says, parables are riddle-like sayings, covering as much as conveying truth. He goes on to say they require looking into in order to be understood. So here in chapter 13, Jesus is doing something new. He tells his audience a story, and his disciples are wondering why. Why get your point across this way? Maybe they asked, why not just say what you want to say? And Jesus gives them this answer. And the answer at first listen sounds a bit harsh. He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. He then refers back to Isaiah chapter 6. And by doing so, he is reminding the disciples of Israel's hardening of their hearts to God. It's as if he's anticipating the reality that many of his own people will not respond favorably to his message. And so what Jesus is saying is basically some will understand and others will not. As we go through life, we, we come to an understanding that it's one thing to hear and another thing to listen. We can hear all kinds of things, but we don't let every sound in for processing. We hear the sound of wind, the cars on the freeway, the roll of thunder, the roar of airplanes overhead. But we don't have to sit and figure out what that means. We also hear all kinds of words throughout the day. Background voices on the radio, the voices of our colleagues in the cubicle next to us. We certainly hear all kinds of sounds, but we're not always listening to what is being said. It doesn't matter to us. It's, it's not going to make a difference in our life. So we hear the sound, but we don't listen. Unfortunately, there are all kinds of people who hear the gospel message the same way. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Not everyone is going to listen in the same way that you do. They think that these words aren't going to make a difference in their life, so they tune them out, scratch their heads, and walk away. According to Bruner, again, there's a tension at work here. It's that difficult line, but to them it has not been given. It reminds us that we have to let God be God. And the tension here is between the sovereignty of God and the free will that he has given to us, our own human responsibility. The good news of the gospel is God's gift to give, but it's up to each individual whether or not they're going to accept it. And because many people choose to say no, they don't understand. They hear the words, but they choose not to listen. Their hearts are hard. Matthew's account suggests that Jesus spoke in parables because of the hearts that those that rejected them were already hard. And within his writing, it seems that there's a possibility, Matthew suggesting that Jesus' parables were a way to get into that hardness and make a difference. But all is not necessarily lost here. Jesus has just told the parable of the sower and all of the different kinds of ground that the seed falls on. Some sprouts shoot up quickly, wither away, but others take their time. They put down deep roots, and in the end, they grow and flourish. Sometimes it takes time for the truth 
of the gospel to sink in and take root. As a church staff, we know how often we plant seeds. In the songs that we sing, in the words of the sermon each week, in the teaching that happens in City Kids and Velocity, conversations in growth groups, we know how often we plant seeds and then hope and pray that something we've said will suddenly, in God's time, make sense to the hearer. And we certainly don't know what God's timing is going to be. We just have to be faithful planters of the seed. We need to say the words and hope that in God's time, the hearing turns into listening and hard hearts are turned into hearts ready to accept the love and grace that our Lord has to offer. And if we're already in the place where we hear and we listen and we understand, then Jesus' words remind us what a privilege this is. He tells his disciples at the top of this passage that they are blessed to hear and to understand. Granted, later on in the example of some of the disciples, we see that maybe they didn't quite hear and understand as, as much as they should have or could have walking with Jesus. But he reminds them at the end of all of those who had gone before, who had given anything to hear and understand, to stand where the disciples were standing, right next to the Savior of the world. Following the sidebar conversation with the crowd, and he finishes his teaching by explaining the meaning of the story. We'll pick up again in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The question to ask in response to Jesus' explanation of the parable is what kind of soil am I? Now that's not to say that the soil is the most important part of the story. You see, each soil that is described here has something in common. The seed. They each receive the same seed. It doesn't matter how fertile the soil is, if the seed hasn't been planted, it's not going to yield a harvest. But if the seed has indeed been sown, then the soil that we are providing for it has significant implications. It would be easy to look at these four soils and think, wow, there sure are a lot of ways to fail here. But I don't think that's the point that Jesus is making here. But rather, the dangers or distractions that get in the way of us being able to respond to the message in a way that is transformative. For some, our hearts are hardened so much that our soil is solid and compacted 
that it's described as a path. There are no cracks in which the seed can infiltrate. It wasn't designed to grow. It was designed to be trampled on by feet. And so the seed sits atop the surface. Those of us like that are like this kind of soil, might hear the words of hope and love that come from the seed, but we don't want them. We refuse to understand them. We refuse to allow the seed to challenge, nurture, or heal our hardened hearts. And for good measure, the evil one comes, snatches the seed laid bare on the soil, keeping us dried up, parched, and hardened. For others of us, we're more like the rocky soil. Perhaps we're even in a stage of life that has moved us from being hardened to a little bit more broken up, like the edge of a road where, where there are more breaks in the pavement. The indiscriminate invitation from God comes as the seed of the kingdom and our freshly opened selves snatch at the thing that we know as good news, joy. But perhaps we're a bit flighty, and the patterns of our hardened hearts and stubbornness are hard to break. We want to believe the good news, but we haven't yet accepted the deep truth that the good news isn't a promise of an easy road ahead. We're looking for the seed of the kingdom to solve our problems, but we don't want to do the work involved in cultivating and nourishing its presence. We don't want to let it deep within us. We don't want to let it challenge us, our views, our lifestyles, our way of thinking, our way of loving or worshiping. And so, when challenges come our way, that little bud of hope, because we kept Jesus and his way superficial in our lives, disappears. And what of the seed sown in the life that has thorns? Jesus says that we are the ones who welcome the seed, but we don't remove the other plants so that the kingdom ways can flourish. We're the ones who need to loosen our grips on our fears and our worries, on our own drive for more money, for more success, for more status. Unwilling to pull up these things that are more deeply rooted in us than the things of God. Then the way of God will wither, for we cannot serve masters. And finally, we come to the good soil. The good soil represents when we hear and understand. When we let the good news sink deep into our hearts, take hold of us in such a way that it changes our lives. We become not just soil, but the wildly growing garden of God, bearing fruit upon fruit Upon fruit. So which soil best describes where you are today? If there's one thing that I learned from watching my grandpa garden, it was the hard daily work of preparing the soil for planting, for weeding and watering. Because we moved to our farm last April, we went into our first garden season a bit blind as to what to expect. Really, we went in blind to just about everything, but for the sake of this illustration, I'm going to stick to the garden. As the ground thawed, we tilled our garden plot. The soil looked dark, not too dry. It seemed like an ideal spot for our first growing season. But what we didn't know was that section of land 
in years prior had been the home of thistles, burdock, and stinging nettles. And the amount of seed lingering dormant in the soil, waiting for spring, when things started to grow, it became quite clear very quickly that the weeds were going to be too much for us to handle. But rather than just sit and watch the weeds take over, the new goal became making sure they didn't go to seed. So that in future seasons, we might be able to cultivate a garden there that might thrive. We're here in year two. We still have some work to do to get to that point. But it is better. There's less burdock there. There's less thistle there. There's less nettles there. And hopefully next year, we'll make even more progress as we continue to make sure that these weeds do not go to seed. Likewise, we should cultivate the soil in our own hearts so that when the kingdom seed is sown in our lives, we might be better equipped to bear good fruit in our lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, whether it is out of careless sowing by the farmer, out of generous sowing of the farmer, or out of just the seed doing what it does and landing where it lands, we thank you that you have indeed shown us the way to live, given us the promise of your kingdom in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of the reality that there are rocky soils in our lives, that there are thorns that come in our lives, there is evidence of your work even in those moments. Lord, would you help us to take a look at our own lives, at our own desires, at our hearts? May you help us to understand our own attitudes and responses to the call to follow Jesus. Lord, what are you asking of each and every one of us? as we desire to be more like Christ, to exhibit his compassion, to live as followers of his teaching. And Lord, whether it is rocks in our soil or thorns that are choking us out, help us to do the good work of cultivating our hearts. Would you be at work so that our hearts, that your word might find fertile soil in our hearts and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.